This Torah class is brought to you by TorahAnytime.com. Girls that are watching tonight's share live in Lakewood and also live in the five towns. Okay. I apologize if anything I say tonight hurts anybody's feelings. Of course, it's not meant for that. Okay. So, everyone knows that this week's parasha, there's a lot going on in this week's parasha. Story of Dina. Um, but one of the main things in this week's parasha is the fight. The, we think it's not, it wasn't really a fist fight. The spiritual fight between Yaakov Avinu and Esau's Malach. Which is brought down in, in many of the Svarim that the Malach was the Satan, Samuel, Malchamavetz, the Malach of Esau, many, many different names. And every year I talk about this fight. Tonight, I would like to explain, we need to know, sort of when, when, they, when they begin a fight, a boxing match, or a wrestling match, so the announcer gets up and says, in this corner, standing six foot two, 340 pounds, he's got 250 wins and two losses, it's so-and-so. And in this corner, weighing 290 pounds, right? So tonight, we got to get clarity on who is in each corner. In other words, everyone knows that Esau's Malach fought Yaakov, but what's Esau's Malach? What does that mean? What does he look like? What is, he, what is he about? What is his essence? What is Esau's Malach? What is the Satan? What is the Satan's essence? Because in order for us to learn from this fight, where Yaakov Avinu sort of won, but didn't completely win, because at the end of the fight, the Malach of Esau returned back to heaven. He didn't kill him. He didn't destroy him. He sort of held him down, so he won in a certain way, but he didn't actually complete the win. He didn't kill him. Therefore, we're still in Golos. What was this Malach that Yaakov held down? And what did this Malach want from Yaakov? Did he want to physically kill him? So, I am going to try to be the announcer tonight of this fight that's going to happen this Shabbos and this Parsha, and to get a, a clear understanding of what and who is the Malach of Esau. Now, to get an understanding of who is the Malach of Esau, we have to get an understanding of who is Esau. If we don't understand who Esau is, then we don't understand his... A Malach of somebody is just his representative in Shemayim. So everybody in this room has a Malach in Shemayim. Zechariah Wallerstein has a Malach, I don't know what he looks like, but he's, he's, he's in Shemayim, and every single person has a Malach in Shemayim, and every blade of grass has a Malach in Shemayim. Because, and we're not going to get into this subject tonight, because that world is a mirror of this world. So the spiritual world and the physical world are mirrored. If there's a person in this world, then there's a malach in that world. And if there's a blade of grass in this world, then there's a malach in that world. So let's try to get an understanding on who was Esau. So to get that understanding, we go to the beginning in Parshas Toldos. And we go to the story of when Esau came in and he was starving. And he came to his brother Yaakov. And he said the following. And Esau said to Yaakov. Give me from these red beans. Because I am very tired. Sell me like it is today. Your Bechor, being a Bechor to me. Does anyone here understand what does that mean? Sell me like it is today. What does that mean? What was he saying to Esau, what do you mean? Of course it's today. It's not tomorrow and it's not yesterday. So the Torah makes a comment here which is very hard to understand. Yaakov told, he should have told Esau, sell me your Bechorah. Instead of saying, sell me your Bechorah, he added and he said, sell me your Bechorah like it is today. Kayoin. Now Esau answers him. And he says, I'm going to die anyway. What do I need the Bechorah for? What kind of answer is that? What is he answering? I'm going to die anyway? Yaakov's also going to die anyway. Everybody's going to die. Nobody lives forever. 
So Esav is answering Yaakov. Yaakov is saying, sell me your Bechayra like today. And Esav's answer to him is, no problem. You know why? Because we all die. Everybody dies. So if everybody dies, Yaakov is also going to die. So why would you sell your Bechayra to Yaakov? And then Yaakov says back to make sure that he heard Esav correctly. And he says, Yaakov, he kayom. Again, the Pasuk, there's a, no, a different Pasuk. Again he says, Sell it to me like it is today. Like he didn't hear the first time. Esav said, okay, you got a deal. What is he repeating? He says, Swear to me like today. And he swore to him. And then he sold his Bechor to Yaakov. And Yaakov gave him the beans. And he ate. And he drank. He got up. And he went. Why does the Pasuk have to tell us all this? He ate. He drank. What did he drink? Doesn't say in the Torah what he drank. Who, who cares? If he drank or he didn't drink, right? He ate. He drank. He got out of his chair. He got up. He left. What? The Torah has nothing else to do and tell us a story? Like, who cares? We don't care that he drank. We don't care that he got up. And we don't care that he went. All we needed to know is he made the deal. He ate. What's this whole business over here? And this is the basis of who Esau is. Now, later on, Right? Yaakov goes, we're not going to say that he tricked Esau. We're not going to say, we're not going to use the word trick. But however he got it, he got the Bechorah. And Esau finds out that his brother stole the Bechorah from him. So what does he say? He says the following. He says, Yeah, I know why he called him Yaakov. He tricked me twice. So Esau tells his father Yitzchak, Yaakov, that guy Yaakov, that trickery guy, he fooled me twice. And the Torah tells us, how did he fool him twice? He took my Bechayra away from me. And now, and now he took my Bracha away from me. Where did Yaakov fool Esau the first time? I understand the second time, he went ahead, he came in, he, he, he put... Here on his hand, so that when Yitzchak touched him, he was fooled. So I understand that he sort of stole and tricked his way into getting the getting the bracha. But he didn't trick him by the bachar. I just read you the psukim. He didn't trick him. He made a deal. You want the beans? Give me your bachar. Did he trick him? Did he fool him? Did he? He made a deal. The deal's not a, not not a trick. Wasn't a trick. So what is this that that Esav is now turning? This is my whole shit tonight. What is this Esau now turning to his father and saying, Yaakov tricked me twice. Yaakov said, what are you talking about? I, 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 this second time, maybe I tricked you. First time I didn't trick you, you came in, you said, you would sell me your Bechorah. If I give you beans, I gave you beans. I sold the Bechorah, we made a deal. We shook hands, you got up and left. Have a good day. What's the trickery? This is the essence of my shirt tonight. And this is the essence of Esau. And the essence of Esau is living for now living for spontaneous enjoyment now I want it now instant gratification so listen carefully the word Bechayrasi and the word Birkasi is the same word it's the same letters Birkasi and Bechayrasi are the same letters so now let's go back to what Yaakov did. When he came and he said that he was starving and he needs to eat, Yaakov said, I don't know if you want to make this deal. Why? And he said, At the same time, when you sell me your Bechar, you're also selling me Bechasecha. You're going to lose your Bracha. So what you're doing now has a consequence. Esav, the Satan, the Malach Amaves, believes that there is no such thing as consequence. <laughs> Kayom, enjoy yourself today. Today is what counts. The moment is what counts. What's the consequence of that moment? That's not important. Ze Esav, ze Satan, ze Malach Amaves. So Yaakov said to Esav, Michra Kayom, do you understand if you sell me, then you're a person who only lives for today. Do you want to sell me the 
Bechoira, the Bechor now, you're selling me Bechasecha. Said Esav, when he lost the, 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 the Bracha, he turned around to his father and said, he fooled me twice, because the first time, he used against me my Teva of just wanting what's today. Absolute instant gratification. And he knew. Esav woke up and he said, Yaakov knew that when he sold me, when I sold him my Bechaira, that there was a consequence. And Yaakov knew the consequence would be that I would lose my bracha. So he said, he, he fooled me twice. This is the difference between a Jew and a non-Jew. This is the difference between a child and an adult. There's a famous story that's brought down by Rabbi Kamenetsky in Pasha Parables. True story. I don't know if it happened with Rabbi Gifter. It was with the Rosh Hashiva and his son and his Talmud. And they were coming into New York airport. And the, the, the gear, the wheels of the airplane would not come down. And the pilot kept trying to get the wheels down. And the wheels would not come down. So the pilot, it's a true story. So the pilot got on the, on the megaphone or whatever it is. And he said, listen, the, the gear is not coming down. So we're going to have to do an emergency belly landing. We're going to have to land without wheels. So in Kennedy Airport, they are now dropping down foam. They're getting all the emergency fire engines and everything. They're clearing the runway. We got to go back out onto the water. We got to dump all our fuel. And we're going to make an emergency landing. Everybody on the plane, you have 45 minutes. It's going to take us 45 minutes to circle, to dump our gas, to get the... And we're going to make an emergency landing. The wheels are not coming down. So this Godel, this Rosh Hashiva, turned to this boy that was with him. I think it was his son or maybe a Talmud. And he said, take out your Tehillim. And this is a big Sakana. Big, you know, many times a plane doesn't make it when they have to do that. And, 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 and they started to daven and they started to cry to Hashem. Right across the road, it's a true story. Right across the road was sitting a man. And he called the stewardess. He said, stewardess, stewardess, come here right now. And the stewardess came running and she bent down. She said, I know, I know. Everyone's nervous about this. He goes, no, no. Listen, 45 minutes. It's very possible we're not going to make it. Can we get scotch now? Can we get some drinks for free? I mean, you're not going to charge for drinks 45 minutes before this plane crashes. Can you open the bar and just give everyone to drink? That's the difference. When you find out you have 45 minutes left in life, is it now? Or are you worried about what's going to happen in the next life? So Esau turned to Yaakov and he said an amazing thing. He said, why do I need the Bechorah? Who cares about the consequence of the bracha? I'm going to die anyway. And I'm Esau. I believe in enjoying myself now. The plane's crashing in 45 minutes. Give me scotch for free. That's all I'm worried about. In the Mishnah, you said, Pekayavis, what does it say? If a person wants to sin, what should you think about? At any moment, you're going to die. At any moment, you're going to die. I could die in two minutes from now. So if I could die in two minutes, I only have two minutes left in the world. What am I going to do? I'm going to do tshuva. So in the Mishnah, it tells us that a Jewish person, whenever you feel you're going to do an Avera, think about Yom Hamisa. Think about that any minute you could die, and then, therefore you have to accomplish every second. Esau said the opposite. What do I need to Bechayr? I'm going to die. If I'm going to die, let me party until I die. And that is Esau. And that is the enemy in the other corner. It's all about partying now. I'll just tell you a story that just happened two nights ago to me. So, actually, three nights and two nights. Three nights ago, a boy came to talk to me in my, in my house. And he's a ninth grader in yeshiva. And he met a girl, an eighth grader. And they're talking. And the parents caught them. And they asked me to talk to him. And I'm like, I don't talk to 13-year-olds. I don't talk to 14-year-olds because they don't even understand the word consequence. So what am I going to tell them? It's all about fun. It's all about now. An adult, an adult is supposed to grow up and that C word, that word of consequence is supposed to get into their head and they realize that every action has a reaction. Just like in physics. So I, what am I going to tell a 14-year-old boy that's going out with a 13-year-old girl? What am I going to tell him? I said, you know what? I happen to know the boy. He's pretty mature. The parents, I, I know, they asked me to do him a favor. Okay, fine. Comes to my house, sits down. I said, no, what's the plan? He says, I love her. 
I said, how long do you know her? He says, a few months. He says, don't start telling me like my parents that I don't know what the word love means. I know what the word love means. I love this girl. I said, you can't marry her. You're 14. She's 13. I don't think it's going to work out. He goes, I know, I know, but I'm there for her. She's there for me. And, and there's really nothing you could tell me. I said, you really, really love her? And he goes, yeah, I really, really love her. I'm like, okay. What does love mean? He goes, oh man, I'm not going through this with you. I'm like, no, no, just, just give me a, a like flat, fast explanation. What, what, is, what does that word mean? Does it mean you care about yourself? Does it mean you care, care about the other person? Absolutely, you care about the other person. You know, there's no, there's no I in us. It's just you. It's a play on words. Very important play on words. When there's us, it's just about the other person. So I said, okay, so do you agree with me that if you really love somebody, it's not about you, it's about the other person? Absolutely. He says, any, you know, anytime she calls me or texts me, I'm there for her. Well, that's great. Okay, well, I'll tell you, Rebbe, that. That's great. So I said, let me ask you something. What grade is she in? She's in eighth grade. They start young these days. I said, eighth grade. I said, you know, it's on the street already that you guys are talking to each other. It's a week or two away from her principal finding out. He goes, yeah. I said, when her principal finds out, they're going to throw her out of yeshiva. Now, once they throw her out of this yeshiva, this Beis Yaakov, then all the other Beis Yaakovs and those types of schools in Brooklyn... There's no way they're going to take her. They're not, why should they take someone else's problem? Let that school handle them. Why do I need their problem, right? So, so this girl that you're, that you love and you care about so much, I agree with you. I wish you could maybe give me a, I told him maybe you'll get, you know, after I finish speaking to you, you'll tell me because I don't know if I'm treating my wife the way you're treating her, so maybe you'll teach me something, you know? So, you know, I mean, maybe kids know more, I don't know. So I said, so now she's thrown out of yeshiva, and we don't have a yeshiva for her in New York, so now we have to send her out of town. So now, where are we going to send her out of town? Because everyone out of town is going to wonder why this girl coming out of town. She lives in New York. Must be, there's something wrong. So the schools out of town are also not going to take her. But there'll be certain schools for certain kids that will take her. And she's going to end up in that school. But there are a lot of girls in that school that are, that have gone through very tough things in life. And they didn't, their problem, the reason they're in that school is not because they talked to a boy. They're in much more severe situations. She's going to walk into that, start learning their behaviors. And in the end, she's going to end up in a very bad place. Um, depression, being you know ostracized from all the other girls when she comes home, having a name on the street. I said, so if you really care about this person, how could you do this to her? So he looks at me and he says, well, well I wasn't thinking about that. I said, Asaf. I said, you're Asaf. He said, I'm what? I said, you're ace of. You're just thinking about right now. I got a girlfriend. I'm in ninth grade. I can tell my friends. I got an eighth grade girl. I got a girlfriend. You're thinking about you? What about her? What's going to happen when they find out about her and they throw her out of school? And in the end, who knows where she's going to end up? Because girls, and I, you know, I'm on TV and tape or wherever I'm on, but I got to say what I got to say. So, too bad on all of you that are watching. I'm sorry. <laughs> So what happens to a girl? It's not fear. What happens to a girl who gets a name? Oh, the guys, they could do whatever they want till they're 19 years old, do every avera in the world and every sin that you could imagine. And then, and guys have told me, like Rob Wallstein, at 19, you're going to pay for my trip to Israel, aren't you? I'm like, what, what do you mean? How do you know you're going to Israel? Right now you're doing every avera and then some averas that are not even written in the Torah. And why would I... Why would I pay to send you to Israel at 19? He says, because at 19, I'm going to Israel, and I'm going to learn, and I'm going to shtaik for two, three years. And then I'm going to come back to America. And all the shatchanim and all the girls are going to be waiting at 5.30 when the 001 LL lands. There's going to be 40 girls waiting to date this guy. Because what's more attractive than a bad boy who became good? You guys are all nuts. I don't know where this comes from. But girls, they like bad boys who became good. Sadiqim. So these guys are already planned. It's planned Shaduchim. It's like, I'm going to be bad till 19, go to one of those yeshivas in Israel, then spend two years there and grow, then I'm going to graduate to the better yeshiva, then I'm going to come back to America and go to the freezer, right? And then when I come out of the freezer, the Shachanam are going to be waiting for me. And he's right. 
And he's 100% right. And there'll be 70, 100 girls on his list that want to go out with him. He's 100% right. I said to this boy, I said, you? You got no problem. You'll go, you'll change. Everyone will have, you'll have a great name. and uh, Forget about it, he's a tzaddik. I said, but what happens to a girl that messes up? She goes to Israel, five years in the vey. I don't care where she goes. She's a madricha, Rosh Hashiva, mashgiach, whatever, she's a Rebetzin, whatever she wants to be. She comes back, she has a name, nobody wants to go out with her. There's a fear. Girls have been complaining about this forever. She's stuck. Not only is she stuck, but the guy that was dating her, that gave her the name, is the guy that's sitting in yeshiva and telling the other guys, her? Are you crazy? Are you crazy? Do you know what? To, I used to talk to her and this and that. You don't want to. You don't want to go out with her. So the guy that's whispering in your ear and he's your best friend and you there for you and all that stuff. That's the guy at 21 that's going to make sure no one dates you. And I'm talking from experience because I'm a guy, Rebbe, not just a girl, Rebbe. That's the guy that's going to ruin your whole life. The one that right now is is, is your your best friend because he's going to come back at tzaddik, and the world forgives the guy. The girl, the world doesn't forgive. Now I'm telling this to this 14-year-old. So I said, now tell me how much you love her. So you love her? So you don't care she's going to get kicked out of school? You're going to ruin her for life? Now tell me that you love her and your translation of love that you care about the other person. So now do you care about this other person? And he looked at me and he said, you're right, but, but, but we're best friends. Like, I can't do this. I said, okay, so you're Asaph. I agree with you. You can't do it. Stay here, Frank. Keep talking to her. In two weeks, she's going to be on my doorstep. Rabbi Wallstein, can you get me into a school out in Utah? In Arizona, away from her friends and away from her family and away from Flatbush and away from where she lives and away from everything? Because you have to talk so you can tell your friends in ninth grade. I got an eighth grade girlfriend. So it's all selfish. That's ace of. Ace of is about doing things and just not thinking about what the consequence is. So what, so the other person gets hurt. And I spoke to her about this. I spoke to her also and I told her, <laughs> you're going down a path, you're not thinking about consequences. You're just thinking about today that you can show your friends, look, he texted me, look, look. I even got his picture. Whoa. You know, we went ice skating in the aviator and he was there. Well, check him out. Yeah. So yeah, you're playing a little game, but you don't understand that there's, that there's a huge consequence to this game. Ze'esov, kayoim, it's about today. Who cares what's going to happen later? That's Esav. You sell your bachara, you lose your bracha. Because it's all the same word. So, I hope he got the message. Maybe he did even. He called me back, I don't know. He's 14, it's hard for a 14-year-old to understand that. But I hope he did. Because if he did, then he really, then he really cares about her. And if he didn't, he just cares about himself. So, let's go a little bit further. Now we can understand a little bit about this fight. Now, I, I want to just go into another subject for two seconds, which is very much tied to this. Many years ago, I was asked to speak in a rehab, a drug rehab. They heard I tell funny stories. Hey, Ray Walsing, can you come once a week and tell stories? I'm like, okay, you know. Jewish kids in a drug rehab, I'll go help them, uh, you know, no problem. But one thing, Rabbi Wallerstein, you can't mention God's name. So, excuse me? God triggers stuff. And in a rehab, you can't mention Hashem's name, because many of these kids are in rehab because they were in yeshiva, and they're ready when their parents, da, 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 da. you got to keep God out of your stories. I said, that takes care of 99.99 of my stories. What do you want me to tell them? Mary had a little lamb? I mean, like, what story do you want me to come up with? You know, Jack and the Beanstalk? I change it to Yankel and the Beanstalk, you know? And Hashem, and he saved them. That's not going to work, you know? No, we don't want you. I said, you know, if I don't go to rehab and talk about Hashem, I'm not interested. Why? Why? So I want to tell you something. And it's very important because it's consequence. person who does drugs, it's an escape. person's in pain, looking for anesthesia, looking for an escape, they find it in marijuana, they find it in cocaine, they find it, whatever the drug is, heroin, in pills, whatever they're using, that's their anesthesia, that's their escape. They're in pain, they're looking to get out. You want to take that away from them. You want them to stop. I believe 80 to 90% of people that go into rehab fall back and it happens again. In Jewish kids, I'll tell you that any Jewish kid who goes to rehab and you don't, put, you don't talk about Hashem and you keep Hashem out of the picture, 
I tell you, 99.99%, that kid's going to fall back. Why? Consequence. Now, let me explain to you what consequence. Avera, Guerrero, Avera, what does that mean? The consequence is as follows. If I'm in pain, and as a kid, to get out of pain, I smoke a joint. That's what gets me, marijuana gets me out. Alcohol. My pain, I get rid of by drinking alcohol. Uh, I need to feel good about myself. I need a moment of being a winner. So I become a gambler. What, whatever I use as a young person to get away, to build my self-esteem, the consequence of that is that whenever I go back to that feeling, that's where I'm going back to. Therefore, a Jewish person, we try to teach, and I've been trying to teach this, doesn't matter whether you're a kid or an adult, I try to teach you to get close to Hashem. Why? What does Rabbi Wallerstein do when he's in pain? I'm also in pain. My father died. This happened. That happened. I'm not, I'm not a malach. I'm in pain. Where do I go when I'm in pain? I never smoked a joint in my life. Baruch Hashem. I never smoked a cigarette. Only because I was a hockey player. And I knew that if I smoked, I wouldn't be able to, to change shifts to be on the ice for three minutes. And hockey was more important to me than anything in the world. So therefore, I didn't smoke cigarettes. And if I couldn't smoke cigarettes, I couldn't smoke marijuana. And there were guys around me smoking marijuana, smoking cigarettes. And I would have nothing to do with it. Not L'shem Shemayim. Because I wanted to play hockey, the best, be the best hockey player. So I never had that escape, and I never did drugs, I never had that escape. So the only escape I had was with the escape that I was taught by my father, was to go to shul, and if I'm in pain, cry to Hashem, and say to Hillim, and close my eyes, and say Hamalach at night, and tell Hashem all my problems. So I never smoked. So if I'm in pain tomorrow, because something happens, where do I reach? Where do I go? What's the consequence? Where do I go to find solace? Where do I go to get out of my pain? I go to where I went as a child. I take out a Tehillim. I go on a plane and I run to the Kaisel. I go to Gedolim and I cry my eyes out. But if I don't, if I didn't have that place to run, and the place I learned to run when I was 16 years old is in a bottle of pills, or in, in, in smoking marijuana, or in a girl, or in drinking, or in gambling, then when I'm 35 years old and I'm clean for 15 years, I was a drug addict and I stopped. And I'm counting and I go to... N-A and A-A and C-A and every A. And I get up and I say, 10 years I'm clean. 15 years I'm clean. 12 years I'm clean. Great. But what's going to happen when you go back to that place where you're in pain and you've got to find a place to escape? You're automatically, the consequence is you're automatically going to go where you escaped as a youngster. <coughs> and therefore, a person who did drugs, yeah, they go to rehab and in rehab, is a place that's safe and things are good and there's no, there's no problems. You're surrounded by everything fine and you make it and you come out and you're like, I can do this. I can go without drugs. I can go without drinking. Whatever you're in rehab for, I can go without. And you're fine. But then five years later, when everything's crumbling around you, you just lost your job. Your grandmother just died. Your uncle just passed away. You're in trouble with the law. You got, where do you go? What's the consequence of the drugs that you did? Where do you run? You run where you ran when you were a kid and you go right back to that bottle. And that's relapse. And that's why 90% relapse. So I screamed and I said, bring God into your rehab. These are Jewish kids. Teach them there's a place to run that's safe where you can cry and it's not going to hurt. So the consequence, the Torah tells us, the consequence of an Avera is Goreres Avera. If you do a sin, then one day later, whatever brought you to do the sin the first time is going to bring you to do the sin again. And you have to break that. And that's Asaph. Asaph says, let me set them up when they're young. Let them believe today it's a day to party. Let's party now. So then later on, when they're looking for something, they're going to go back to that party. And, and never look at the world today. Look what's going on. Look what's going on. You don't have God and you're a Jew. You're doomsdayed. You're going to have to go back to something else that's not healthy. Oh, religion. What are you running to religion? He's not really there. You don't know he's there. Those are the people who never don't understand who never went to Hashem. So they go for all the anesthesia and all the other things. And it doesn't make them feel any better. Only for the moment when they wake up, they feel even worse. Zeh Esav. Zeh Malach Esav. And I'm going to show you that exactly what I just told you now is in this week's parsha, word for word. Esav says, no consequence. 
And when a person doesn't see a consequence, you lose your clarity. Clarity is understanding that one plus one equals two. If I do this, I, I take my car, I run over a bunch of nails, I'm going to have a flat. Not, I'm going to, it's going to be fun running over the nails, and who cares what the next step is. Ezehu Chacham says the Mishnah. Ezehu Chacham, who's a wise man? Haroya es Hanoilad. Who sees the consequences? It's a Mishnah. What's the opposite? Rav Shimon says in the Mishnah, what's the opposite of a smart person who sees the Noilad? A person who borrows money and doesn't pay back. That when he borrowed the money, he didn't figure out how is he going to pay it back. That's the opposite of a Chacham. That's a fool. What's a fool? A fool is a person who does, borrows the money, I need it now, but he doesn't look at the consequence. That is Esav. And that was the whole war of Esav and Yaakov. Don't worry about tomorrow. Worry about today. And he takes away all the clarity that we have. Now let's go to this week's parsha, And your mom is gonna, you're going to see it in the words. Okay. So what happens? Yaakov is left levado. He's left alone. First of all, just to give you a little good positive reinforcement, they ask the question... Why was he left alone? Yaakov had thousands of angels always protecting him. All the mitzvahs that he did by loved one, there were angels protecting him. All of a sudden, he goes out at night, and everybody's gone. There's a story. I know how he felt. I had a story many, many, many years ago. I was, I was young. I was about 17 years old. I had two friends. One of them was about 6'2", huge guy from Israel. And the other guy was a green belt in karate. He's my two best friends in Muncie, in Yeshiva. One day... In the middle of school, we cut, well, we uh, left yeshiva for a few minutes um, to play basketball. Now, we couldn't play basketball in yeshiva because they were learning, and it wouldn't have worked. So we, in Muncie, it was a public school, not far, about half a mile away, where we just snuck out and we went to, we went to play ball. And the three of us were playing half court, we were playing ball, and all of a sudden these two non-Jewish girls come onto the court from the public school. And they're like, hey, this is not your court, this is our court, we're playing and I'm like, no, we really, you know, you could play on the other side. There's two baskets. There's no one there. And they're like, no, this is our basket. I said, okay, guys, let's go to the other basket. So we went to the other basket. They came to the other basket. They said, no, this is also our basket. So I saw already they were basket cases. Okay, anyway, I saw, I saw, that, I saw that we had a little bit of a situation. I saw that we had a problem. So I said to my friends, you know what, let's not start. You know, the whole public school is going to come out. Let's just get out of here. And now my big friend, the green belt, turns around to her and said some very nasty words that I can't repeat here. <laughs> you, blank, blank, get off my court. And this girl turned around and said, really? Okay, we'll get off your court. And they left. And I'm like, okay. Ten minutes later, two girls and 40 guys. <laughs> and every one of those 40 guys we're like triple my size. And they're coming onto the court, and I'm standing there, and I'm like, we are in big trouble. First of all, how do we, play, how do we explain to Yeshiva that we got beat up, you know, in the base medrash? And that's not, they're not going to understand that. Anyway, I'll never forget, they came walking up, and the guy, the, the, the front, the head guy, I was, oh, I was, I don't know, maybe 15. This guy must have been 19. He was huge. He was a football player. Comes walking up, and he puts his finger in my chest. He says to the girl, is this the guy that said it to you? And I'm like, No. I, didn't, I, didn't say, I, 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 I don't speak English. I don't speak English. You know, like. So she goes, no, it wasn't him. So I'm like, okay, but my friend's in big trouble. I'm going to turn around. They're going to kill him, right? I turn around. Guess what? They're gone. Gone. They're running up the hill. Here I am, 40 guys. Goyim, standing Wallstein. I was a skinny little runt at that time. Right? Standing there. And my karate and Israeli friend... They hightailed that they're ready way up the mountain. Then I learned something about friends, which I never forgot. They're there. They're there for you. But if their life's at stake, they're not there for you. And here I am with these 40 guys. And Baruch Hashem, Hashem gave me, you know, I talk, I, I do talk a little bit. And I started giving them the share on the red light, the girl in the red light. And they said, you know what? Just, we don't, we, you know, we're, we're, it's a joke. I didn't give them that share. I was kidding. Um, and they, I just talked my way out of it, Baruch Hashem. I really did. I talked my way out of it. I apologized to them. Uh, whatever I said, I'm gonna, we're gonna, you know, give me your numbers. I'll have them call you. I made up all kinds of stories, whatever it is. I was mommy shivering, but I a little bit understand this pasuk by Yevasa Yaakov Levado. That all of a sudden you turn around and your malachim are gone. Well, this is what happened here. Yaakov turned around and there was nobody there. Here he is. He's gonna fight a malach. Hello, where are all you guys? 
My whole life you're around me, now there's nobody here. So the question is, the Medrash asks, why did Hashem do that? Why did Hashem take away all His protection? For you guys. Because the Kirsch Baruch Hu said, there'll come, there'll come a time that every Jewish kid and every Jewish person is going to be alone. They're going to come up to a situation where the Yitzhah is going to want them to do a sin and their father and mother are not going to be there and their Rebbe is not going to be there and their friend is not going to be there and they're going to be in a place that they're extremely alone without anyone to help them. So God wanted to put into every girl and boy's Jewish person's DNA the ability that even alone to be able to beat the Yitzhah. Says the Medrash, it's a beautiful, powerful proof to my whole DNA theory. Beautiful, powerful word that a Kishbaruch left Yaakov alone because the Kishbaruch knew that Yaakov could handle this Malach and he wanted all of us to have the power that even if we don't have anyone around us and we're all alone somewhere far from everywhere and this Yitzhara comes to you and you don't have a chance because you turn around and you go like, uh, Wallstein's not here, or Nava's not here, my parents are not here, my school's not here, my husband's not here, my, my father's not here, I'm alone, oh my goodness. And Hashem says, you could do it. How do you know you could do it? Because Yaakov did it. He was left alone and he still beat him. And that's why he was left alone. But it was very scary. I'm telling you, I turned around, there were 40, he was fighting a malach. Okay? So, and it says he was very scared. Now listen carefully, because it's amazing how the words fit in here. He says the following. Here's the fight. He was left alone. And a man fought with him. Until the morning star came up. And the Malach saw that he couldn't beat Yaakov. So he hit him in the groin. And he dislocated Yaakov's groin. Okay? So Yaakov didn't win this fight. While he was struggling with him. And the Malach said to him, Let me go. Because Yaakov wasn't killing him, but Yaakov was holding him. Shalcheni, let me go. Ki ola hashacha, because the morning star is up. And Yaakov said, I'm not letting you go. Ki im barachtani, unless you give me a bracha. What bracha do you want to get from the Malach of Esav? That in the casino you should get blackjack a hundred times in a row? That your horse should come in? What, that what? That you should be a movie star, a rock star? What bracha can you get? From the Malach of Esav, let him go. Get out of here. What, what do you want, a bracha from this guy? He's the worst, he's the lowest. What does he know how to give a bracha? What is this bracha? Let's look in the Torah and see what bracha he got. So the Malach said to Yaakov, Mashemecha, what's your name? Oh, Esav's Malach didn't know what his name was. He's fighting with him a whole night. All of a sudden, Shalom Aleichem, by the way, you know, I've been beating on you for like 20 hours. What's your name? So Yaakov's like, Oh, you want to know my name? My name's Yaakov. Yom Yaakov. My name is Yaakov. What's going on in this pulsing? Oh, you tell him a chiddush. You just said, you know my name. You're fighting with me the whole night. We've been fighting our whole lives. What are you asking me my name for? Why did the Malach ask Yaakov his name? And why did Yaakov answer him? Yaakov should have said, you know my name. Okay. Now, all of a sudden the Malach goes, Yomer, lo Yaakov. No, your name's not Yaakov anymore. Don't say it anymore. Kiim Yisrael, because you have a new name, it's Yisrael. Kisarisa Malokim Manoshim Vatuchal, because you have fought with an angel, you have fought with Lavon and Esau as humans, Vatuchal, and you were able to beat them. Is there a bracha here? I don't see any bracha. I see a name change. There's no bracha. He asked him for a bracha, he didn't give him a bracha. He just told him, you know what, I'm changing your name. It's no more Yaakov, it's Yisrael. Okay. Now, now, you know, one Jewish, you know, one, uh, we ask questions, that's what we do. So, he said, now you ask me a question, I ask you a question. And he said, okay, I told you my name's Yaakov, what's your name? Yaakov didn't know his name. Yaakov didn't know it was the Malach of Esau. What's he going back now and asking him the Malach his name? And the Malach, instead of being a gentleman, he told me his name. Now you should tell him, you know, you should tell him his name. He says, Lomazet Tisha Lishmi. Why are you asking my name? What are you asking my name for? What kind of answer is that? And the Malach blessed him there. What did he bless him with? Doesn't say. Anyone here know the bracha that Esau's Malach gave us? Nobody here knows the bracha Esau's Malach because it doesn't say what he said. Right? Because he saw Elohim Panim Panim. But Yisrael Shemesh and the sun came out and he saw when the sun came out 
he saw that he had a dislocated groin. You mean he didn't feel it? You mean the sun had to come out for him to see it? Hello. He got his, his leg, his whole thigh, everything was dislocated. He must have been screaming in pain. He had to wait till the sun comes out to see that his leg's going this way, to, to realize that he had a dis... What's going on over here? What's this whole situation? So I'm going to explain it to you. Listen carefully. Yavik means dust. Anyone, you girls don't know this, probably, but we learn in street fighting that if a big bully comes over to you and he's going to mash you into little pieces and there's no way you're going to beat him, you have two choices. Find a bottle and crack it and try to cut his throat. And that's not going to work if he's twice the size. The other thing is to take a handful of dirt. Everyone learns this in street fighting. Take a handful of dirt and throw it in his eyes. And when you throw it in his eyes, while he's trying to get the dirt and the sand out of his eyes, you run away. That's what, that's what we do. So the Malach in his fight with Yaakov realized that the way for me to beat Yaakov is is to throw some dust in his eyes. And if I throw some dust in his eyes and you throw some dust in a Jewish person's eyes and they don't see clearly and we could put some doubt in their head and we could get them to stop thinking about the now and enjoying now and not thinking about consequence, we'll get them. And, and, and the Zaya says that the Ovek, the dust of this fight, went to Hashem's Kisei HaKavayit. Because even the Kisei HaKavayit, if you put dust on it, it doesn't have a shine. And Asaph wants to put a lot of dust on the Kisar Kavoy. He wants to put in every girl's in this, in this room a lot of doubt. Is there a God? And he does it all the time. And we have a lot of questions. And that was this fight. And that's why the word is Vayyavek. There was a lot of dust. And the Zayar says the dust went to Hashem's throne. And it, it took the shine off the throne. And this fight went on a whole night. But he saw a Kiloi that Yaakov didn't give in. So you know what he did? He said, I can't beat you, Yaakov. You're Yaakov. But I'm going to take out all your kids in the year 2007 in Tavshin Samaches, the year that we live in. I may not be able to hurt you, but by dislocating your groin, which represents your children, I will get them. I can't get you, but I will get them. And Kachaya, he couldn't beat Yaakov, but he was able to affect Yaakov's children what we're, what we're, the life that we're in, and what's going to happen in our generation? What kind of effect? Says the Pasuk, by throwing dust in our eyes and giving us doubt and getting us to stop thinking about consequence. But Yomer and the Malach said, okay, I did what I have to. I can't beat you, but I got, I got the generation, the generation that we're all living in. They're not going to be so clear. But Yomer Shalachani, let me go. Ki Ola Shachar. You already too, Ola Shachar. The light, it's already too light. You see too much. He says, I'm not, I'm not gonna let you go. Ki Imberachtani, unless you bless me. What's the bracha that Yaakov wanted? Yaakov wanted the bracha of clarity. Yaakov wanted the bracha of understanding consequence. So the Malach said, after this whole fight, after all this garbage, after living in America, after the culture and everyone telling you the danger of the Malach and the dust that he puts in is that we're not different. That we're like the Goyim. And they like us and we get along with us. And we mix with them. And we get mixed up and we don't have clarity. They're our friends. And all of a sudden, we become in a world of fantasy, which is the world of no consequence. Why is the internet so hot? Why is it such a big thing today? Why can you go on my space and their space and our space and you can go into, into, into this room and that chat room and this chat room? Why do people do it? Because of Asav. Because in that place there is no consequence. I can be a king, I can be six foot two, Latino with five houses, I can send out emails, you don't know what I look like, I'm a muscle man, and some 12 year old girl is a 19 year old model, you can be whatever you want, and there's no consequence. What's the consequence? I can go on and make up anything, any profile. It's Asia's world. A world of no clarity. I can be anybody. It's unbelievable. Unbelievable, you go on to MySpace, some eighth grade girls, in my school, and you look up what they are, you, you, you think they're 19 year old, I don't want to say what, how they're dressed. And they put on, I'm 19, and I'm like, this girl's in 8th grade, what do you mean you're 19? If you're 19, why aren't you in seminary? Because he created, he dislocated our generation, and he made a place of no clarity, I can be anything I want, 
I can be anyone I want, and there's no consequence. You have women and men at night on, 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 on the internet. Marriages are broken left and right. Women that get up in the middle of the night, they're sending emails across the world to California. They're talking to men. Guys are getting up. They're talking to women. They make believe they're working. And they're like, what's the consequence? She's never going to see me live. I could tell her I'm a multi-billionaire stock trader, right? The guy's making $12 an hour. And on the internet, he's a multi-billionaire, the prince of, of, of who knows what, of England. And, 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 and it's beautiful. And, and, and that's what we all want. We all want to live in the world of fantasy. The world of fantasy belongs to the Eight Sahara. Because the world of fantasy, there's no clarity. It's just dust. It's not real. There's no consequence in that world. And that's why we're going down the tubes. Because there's no consequence. I was just telling the boys last night. During the summer, this guy walked into shul by Landau's. And he must have just come from a Yankee game. Right? He comes into the shul. And he's wearing this shirt. And on the back it says, Jeter. Derek Jeter, for all those, he's a shortstop for the Yankees. If you're living in this generation, you probably heard his name, right? So this guy's coming into shul, and it says Derek Jeter on the back of his shirt. And I'm like, this guy's name's not Derek Jeter. I know his father. His name is Friedman. <laughs> what's up with the Derek Jeter, Jeter shirt? And I'm like, thinking to myself, I know what's up. This guy can't play ball to save his life. He puts on the shirt. It says New York Yankees. It says Derek Jeter. All of a sudden, he's playing shortstop. In Yankee Stadium. And all the girls are screaming, Derek! And he has this contract for $32 million. And he's going out with a model. So this guy thinks they're just putting on his shirt with his name on the back. He's Derek Jeter. Why else would someone wear a shirt with someone else's name on it? <laughs> In camp, you didn't put on, well, you did sometimes put on a shirt with the other person's name on it, but it wasn't on purpose. And the whole fashion world, and the whole world of culture, sells us that you're not who you are, you are what you wear. Well, and, and I, never, I heard a guy last night, I didn't mean it. You know, I was telling him that I remember after 9-11, so to me, the coolest guys who gave up their lives to save others was the New York Fire Department. And right after that, they came out with FDNY hats and jackets, and, and it was selling like nobody's business. Why? Because if you put on that jacket, maybe someone thought you were part of the fire department and you saved some people in the World Trade Center. I, you know, know the first thing about saving people or being in the World Trade Center or fire. But, they, but if it says it on it, that's it. If it says Gucci, I'm Gucci. If it says Gucci, then I'm everything that comes along with Gucci. And, and, and I'm a model in Paris walking down the road and everyone's taking pictures of me. You were never in Paris and you're not a model and you don't know Gucci, right? That's what they sold us. That, you're, that you live in a fantasy world. You're not who you are. So guess what the Malach of Esau, who owns this, this is, his, this is his life. This is what he's all about, right? What did this Malach ask Yaakov after the whole fight? He said, do you know your real name? Is it Jeter? Is it Gucci? Who is it? Who are you? Is it some rapper, 50 cent, 90 cent, whatever they are? How many cents? Who are you? Who are you? So Yaakov said, Mr. Esau, Mr. Malach, I know who I am. Yaakov! I know my name. Don't you try to tell me that my name's not Yaakov. That I go on the internet and, and my name is Moogie Sugi Poogie. You know, some of the girls that send me their email addresses, I'm embarrassed. I'm embarrassed. You think from the email address that they're who knows what. They're, they're nice girls. And they have these crazy email addresses. Right? Chas v'shalom. If, if they would come up to me and say those words that are on their email address, I would never talk to them again. But we get the email, and I'm looking, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, who is this? I don't want to know. I don't want to know. So what happened? Why don't you just write? I'm just giving you a name. Yehuda Schwartz. No, it's not Yehuda Schwartz. It's Yo Pink Horizon something or other. That's not who you are. You're Yehuda Schwartz. No. So, so, so Esau's Malach after the whole fight, said, so did I get you? Do you know your name? And Yaakov said, you better believe I know my name. Vayomer, Yaakov. After the whole fight, after all the schmutz and all the dust you try to throw in my eyes, I know my name. My name is Yaakov. Answered the Satan. And he said, if you know your name is Yaakov after all this, your name is now Yisrael. Yashar Kale. You're straight with God. I didn't get you to go off one little bit. Yashar. What is straight? Straight is black and white. 
There's no in-between. So he gave him the biggest bracha and he said, You won! Yaakov means trickery. And he said, You tricked me twice. You are not straight. The Sultan said, You're like me. You're just as crooked as me. And at the end of the fight, even Asaph had to admit, You did what your mother told you to do. You did what you were supposed to do. Your name is no longer trickery. Yashakel, the biggest bracha. You have clarity. You understand consequence. You understand it's not about what at this moment that I need spontaneous enjoyment, but that what I'm doing today is going to affect my life and my children's life and my grandchildren's life and Clydesdale's life and the whole world and every, every drop that I do is going to affect everything else. That's a whole different world. So Yaakov turned around to the Sutton and said, and by the way, what's your name? So I'm Yaakov and I'm straight. What are you? What's your essence? What are you? How do I fight you? I, the only way to fight someone is to know their essence. And the Malach answered him. And the Malach, the Higidin Shemech, he said it nicely. He said, please tell me your name. What's, what kind of talk is that? The Malach didn't say Higidin The Malach said, Mashmecha, what's your name? Yaakov answered back, Higidin please tell me your name. What's the Na? Na is a Bakasha. Na is when you're begging for something. Yaakov said, you know what? I beat you. I held you down. You want me to let you go? I need to know from my children in Arnava that are sitting here tonight. I need to know what is your name. We can't fight you unless we know what you're about. So please tell me your name. And Esau's Malach answered two things. He said, Why are you bothering asking my name? I change all the time. Today it's a boy. Tomorrow it's something else. The next day I'm something else. I don't have one name. If someone would have gotten up when I was a youngster and said, there's a big Yate Sahara, the internet. I would have said, what are you talking about? There, there was no, the Yate Sahara didn't exist, internet, when I was growing up. There was no cell phone. So the Yate Sahara said to Yaakov, what good is it if I'm going to tell you who I am? I'm going to change next week anyway. I'm going to come back to this girl as a different Avera, and tomorrow another Avera, and the next day another Avera. So what's the use of knowing my name? Yaakov said, no, no, no. What's your essence? So the Malach answered, and he didn't, he didn't say, Lomoze Tisha Lishmi, why are you asking my name? He said, I'll tell you my name. My name is Lomoze Tisha. That's Lishmi. Why ask questions? Why worry about the consequence? That's my name. Don't read it, Lomoze Tisha Lishmi, why are you asking me my name? Wrong. Read it, Lomoze Tisha. Why ask questions? Party, party and party. Don't ask any questions. Don't think about consequences. Lishmi, that is my name. Vayavarach Sham, And there he was blessed. And the Malach, the Sultan, went back to Shemayim. And he sang Shira. And we know that the reason he had to leave to go to Shemayim was to sing Shira. And we also know that a Malach gets to sing Shira once in his life. That's it. Now, they all sing Shira every day. But to be the Chazan, to be the leader, every Malach gets one chance. When does he get that chance? When he reaches his Tikkun. When he does his ultimate Shlichus. What is the job of a Satan? You think Hashem's a mean being? He said, okay, let's create humans. Let's create this crazy Satan internet, every filth, every dirt. Let's drop these Jewish neshamas in America and let's watch them do Averis and then we're going to throw them in Gehenim. Gehenim shall Shelleg, then Gehenim shall Eish. Then we'll put them in a dog. Then we'll put them in a plant. Then we'll put them in a Gilgal. Hashem's sitting there like, oh, we're going to have fun with these people. Chas v'shom. It's not why he created the Satan. He created the Satan so the Satan should come to you and say, talk Lashon Hara. Come on, come on. And you should say, no way. And you should say, come on, just one word. And you should say, no way. And you should beat him. That's why he created, and then you get the schus, and you get Olam Haba, and you get Ganeiden, and Hashem loves you, and that's all he wants. So he had to create a bad essence, because once the Satan's dead, and Mashiach's here, you don't get any credit for doing any mitzvahs, because there's no, there's no fight, there's no Bechira anymore. So Hashem created the Satan to lose, not to win. Hashem doesn't want the Satan to win, he doesn't want you to do an Avera, he doesn't want to punish, who wants to punish their own children? You think there's a, there's a, there's a parent in the world that wants to watch, to watch their child go to Gehenna? So you think Hashem wants to watch his children go to Gehenna? Chas v'shalom. Chas v'shalom. 
Hashem created the Satan, so you should win, so you should go to Gan Eden. So the Satan, he's not a fool. Hello, tomorrow morning, Satan, is your chance to be chazen in Shemayim in front of God. Okay, tomorrow morning, what time? Six o'clock. Good, I think I'll go pick a fight with Yaakov tonight. You crazy? Wait till after you become chazen, then go pick a fight. Maybe he'll beat you. And the answer is that it wasn't his turn to be the chazen. But once he came to Yaakov and fought a whole night to get Yaakov to do an Avera, to lose his clarity, and he lost, he did his tikkun. That's what he was created for. So he ran up to Shemayim, and he said, Today, I'm chazen. There's a man that beat me. And that's what I was created for. This is a zayar. And therefore, it was his day of shira because he, he lost. Because when the sultan loses, he wins because that's what he was created for. So now I'm going to tell you a big secret. And I'm going to leave you with this thought and with this bracha. When you do something wrong, when you do an avera, so we know that right after you do that sin, what happens? The Satan runs in front of God and says, he's whispering in your whole, nah, don't worry, it's not such a bad sin. Eh, you'll do true. Eh, and the minute you do the Avera, he flies up to Shemayim. Chani, Bas, whatever. She just did this big sin. Look, Hashem, look what she did. Look what she did. Punish her, punish her, punish her. That is why, that a second after you do something wrong, they call it a Jewish conscience. It's not a Jewish conscience, but it is. Because you have a Yetzirah and a Yetzirah. And the minute you do an Avera, the Yetzirah runs to tell Hashem, you're only left with the Yetzirah. <laughs> So for that second, when you're left with the Yetzirah, you feel bad. And that's why when Jews do something wrong, for two seconds they feel bad. Oh, he comes flying back and then he starts, <laughs> he starts all over again. But for those two seconds, we're all guilty. It's called Jewish guilt. It's not Jewish guilt. It's Yetzirah. Because the Yetzirah ran to rat on you. But everything in Shemayim has to be equal. So if the Yetzirah comes to you and tells you to do an Avera, and you don't do the Avera, he has to run up. And stand in front of Hashem and tell Hashem that I came to Chaim and she beat me. And you have to give her a reward. And I'll tell you what Zayar, I didn't, I forgot to bring my Zayar tonight. And you know what the Zayar says? That the Satan comes after you do a mitzvah and you beat him and he stands in front of Hashem and he tells Hashem what you did and Hashem says to him, bench them! You! The Zayar, I'll bring it to you next week. You give the person that you try to beat a bracha and the Satan stands in front of Kitsay Kabbat and he gives that person a bracha. And that's what the Pasuk says here. And the Pasuk says that when the Yitzhar went up to Shemayim, he gave Yaakov a bracha because that's what he does for every single person. Girls, could you imagine that piece of schmutz, that Esau, that Satan, could you imagine that when you beat him, he has to go in front of the Kisa Kavod and say that you beat him and the mitzvah that you did and he has to give you a bracha? That's the only bracha you ever want to get from Esau. That's the bracha that Yaakov asked. Who wants a bracha from Esau? You get up there and you tell Hashem that I have clarity. That I understand consequence. That I beat you. And Hashem says, give that girl a bracha. Satan. Hashem wants to see him squirm. Give that person a bracha. What a bracha. Get a bracha from the Satan. Being forced because you beat him. Says, Isaiah, what a bracha. The whole Shemayim is clapping. They're screaming. Satan's giving a bracha to a Jewish kid. Everybody come and watch. You can make that happen. Everybody in this room can make that happen. So there's consequence. And we have to understand that there's consequence in the physical world, there's consequence in the spiritual world, and the difference between an ace of Malach who believes in party time, the plane's going down, give me a scotch. That's all I'm interested in. And the, and the Klai Yisrael is, plane's going down, Chas Shalom, I don't have much to live. How do I, and how do I use these last couple of minutes to get closer to Kosh Baruch Hu? That's, that's the difference between the two. And you should know that every mitzvah that a person does is, is unbelievable. Every little mitzvah, don't think, so I did so many averas, so God, I'm done. You're not done. Yaakov Avinu was scared of Esav. He said, I'm scared, I'm going to lose this fight. Why was he scared of Esav? Esav did every averah, whatever you can imagine. Why was he scared of Esav? He did one mitzvah. That's why he was scared of Esav. One mitzvah he did. And he said, Yaakov said, all the mitzvahs I did in the world, I'm going to lose. From one mitzvah, the power of one mitzvah. From an Esau, there's no Esau sitting in this room. Every girl in this room is holy. There's no Esau sitting in this room. So if Esau from one mitzvah of Kibbutz Aim, Yaakov Avinu said, oh my goodness, I'm scared because I, this guy can, can beat me. 
Imagine if you're not an Esav, every single mitzvah that you do, imagine the, the, the greatness that a person can be. So my bracha to everyone here, Hashem should give you the clarity, and you should, you should understand clarity and consequence, both start with a C. You should understand that that is Klai Yisrael. And my bracha to you is that you should cause, every girl in this room should cause that satan to just stand in front of that Kisar Kavod and continuously, continuously give brachas to all of us, to God's Klai Yisrael, till the sun. And that's how it ends. And that's, that's talking the way we should end. But Yisrach are, and the sun came up, and Yaakov saw that he was wounded. Says the Medrash that the sun came up is Mashiach. The sun that was hidden, the, 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 the light, the Arhaganus came up, and in the Arhaganus everything is healed. And everything will become clear. And therefore, there's a machoikis in the Medrash if the sun healed him or he still remained. But most of the Medrash says that he was healed. Klai Yisrael is taka, we're limping, we're hurt, we're dispersed all over the world. Just like in this week's Pasha, the sun came up, Mashiach came, and everybody was healed. Everybody, whatever they need, the sun should taka come up, then Hera, Mashiach should be here, and Klai Yisrael should be here. You've just experienced another Torah class, brought to you by TorahAnytime.com.